Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We're going to ask you to pray for one thing. This is what we want you to pray for uh, in, 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 in the next couple of months as we head into 2022. Because I know that as we start thinking and planning for the next year, we all have prayers, right? We all have things that we pray for. We all have things that we believe for. We all have a vision or, a, or some goals that we've written down that we're trusting God for. But I want to ask you to include this one thing in your prayers for 2022. And, it, and it's a prayer that we see in Colossians 4 verse 3. In Colossians 4 verse 3, Paul writes, he says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray that a door would open up so that we would have the opportunity to declare the goodness of God, the finished work of the cross, the mystery of Christ. How many of us, in all the things that we pray for, we pray for so many things in our lives, how many of us pray that God would open a door for us to be able to effectively preach the gospel? Paul says, pray for us. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for this community that God would open a door that no one else could open, that no one would be able to shut, that He would open up a door for us to be able to preach the mystery of of Christ. Pray that God would do that so that we can declare this message um, and be effective in what He's called us to do. Paul ends his letter to the church in Corinth here in 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to be around 1 Corinthians 16, last chapter in this book today as we end this series. But in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 to 9, Paul says this, but beyond, beyond making uh, quite a few ministry instructions, and, and he, there's a few things that we see that are ministry related as he gives these final instructions and greetings that we'll look at and how that just shows us how powerfully the church can function together. And there's some powerful lessons in that. But in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 to 9, Paul says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. A wide door for effective work has opened to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay a little longer. I'm going to hang out a little bit longer. I'm going to press in a little bit more because a wide door has opened up. I want to share a message with you today as we finish this series called A Wide Open Door. A wide open door that God has given us. And I just want to pray for us for a moment and we'll get into the scripture. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you uh, this morning as we gather together as your people, as your community, God, as people that have been saved by the grace of God, knowing that we've been saved to many more things than what we've been saved from. Thank you, God, for the future that you've given us, the hope that you've given us, the purpose that you've given us, the plans that you have for us. We thank you for a wide open door for our church, for effective ministry, for effective declaring of the mystery of Christ, Lord. I pray, God, that each of us will gain sight today and be able to see with our spiritual eye that we will be able to see the door that you have opened before us and have the courage to walk through it in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that we can already begin praying for our next year and 
that you will activate something in every heart in this place today, God, as they begin to connect with the reason for which you've created them, the reason for which you've been speaking to them, the reason for which you've been, you've been calling them, Lord God, that call that they've just been unable to ignore. It's just been ringing out. And they lie in bed and they feel like there is more that God is calling me to and I cannot ignore it. I just thank you, God, that that just becomes bigger and louder and stronger in all of our lives and in us as a community today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I have this secret talent that not many people know about um, that I'm going to let you in on today. And it's related to my unique ability to find very good secondhand deals online, all right? So I'm very good at this. In fact, I'm so good at this that I have friends and family members that when they want to purchase items secondhand, they ask me to find them for them. And then I'll say, no problem, no problem. I've got this covered. And I don't know, I have helped missionaries buy vehicles, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of rands, vehicles, you know, four by fours, whatever. And they phone me and I'm like, I'm on it. I'm going to get you the greatest four by four you have ever seen. And several of the four by fours that I have sourced are currently in the mission field right now. I'm doing the Lord's work, right? But anything that anybody wants, if you mention it to me, I'm like, I will find you the best deal secondhand. And so I have this unique ability to find good secondhand deals and it's, there's a process in how I got into this. And the process is, is whenever I'm going to buy something, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be a toaster or, as Will knows, he spent a couple of hours with me researching kettles. Um, if I'm going to buy anything, I start by doing six to eight months of research, right? I'm not even kidding. <laughs> that would be an average amount of time. Sometimes it's a bit longer. But I read up about the history of the product and then how every part of that or every element of whatever I'm purchasing has been designed and how it fits together and why this is better than that. I read websites where things are compared to one another. What else could I get for the same amount? And so I have been known to even develop spreadsheets. So please pray for my wife. Please pray for my wife. There have been, there have been times, and you can ask her, this is before God, this is the honest truth, um, you know, I will, I'll lie in bed and she'll roll around at two in the morning. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just reading up on some things, you know, and I'm busy making spreadsheets of the different items and brands and how they compare. It took me eight months of research before we bought a fridge. Um, and so this is just something that I do. But the problem is, is that once I've done all the research, you know, certain things that once you know them, you can't unknow them anymore, right? So now I know too much. So now the problem is, what I now have decided is the best item for me to purchase, I can no longer afford it. I've out, you know, knowledgeed myself. Like, I cannot now buy, because I know too much about that product, to go and buy it. If I hadn't done the research, I would have just gotten it, it'll be fine. And probably in most cases, it would have been. But now I have a certain item that I want, and it's always too expensive for me. And so I say, I want that item, but now I need to go to the secondhand market. And that's how I now look for one that I have found things that are like still in the box that haven't even been opened. And I bought them for half the price. And so that's basically how I buy uh, everything that, that I have and, uh, and how we've purchased probably all of the stuff that is on stage here, including the drums and, the, and everything that you see here. Most of it has been purchased in that same way. And so we have the best stuff, but we didn't pay, we didn't pay the, you know, the full price for most of those items. Um, and so I, this, this is now how we come down to, to my secret talent, right? So I have that ability, and I do the research, and I find out what I want. But then I, 
there's a graph that if I could draw for you, basically the heavier and the bigger the item is, so if that's one axis of the graph, um, the higher the floor that the per person I'm purchasing it from would be keeping it, right? So for example, uh, these, this, this is a 20,000 Rand drum kit over here. I bought it two months ago for Anchor Church for 10,000 Rand, okay? So I paid 10,000. But as you can see, it's big, it's heavy, and it's awkward to carry. So on the graph, that relates to a third floor purchase. I'm not kidding. It was on the third floor, and I had to go up and down those stairs as I was loading these drums into my car, right? And so the bigger the item, for some reason, the higher the person I'm purchasing it from lives in the sky, and I have to carry the thing down. So the other day, um, I bought us a couch for our home. Our, our, the one that we had was falling apart and bought us a couch for our home. It was a corner couch set and it was, it was big. Um, and, and so the lady that I bought it from lived on the second floor. Now that seems strange because, you know, according to the graph, it should be like fifth or sixth floor. You know, I should be buying it from like the Ponte Tower or something. But there was another factor that came into this graph and that was that she had, she was living in an old building complex and that means the doors were about this wide, okay? So, so when you don't have a wide door, it kind of multiplies the difficulty of getting that item out. And in order to get it out, uh, Eli was there with me that night and it was just this lady and myself and Eli, and we're trying to get it out. She was immigrating and selling this couch. And so we actually had to overhang the couch over the balcony so that two-thirds of the couch was hanging off the second story and my poor 10-year-old son is hanging on one side <laughs> saying, Dad, please don't let me go, you know. If the couch goes, he's going with it, you know. And so this is kind of the ratio. And, uh, and, and it just it, it comes to the idea of, of a wide door that God opens up, which is the, it's like the grace of God that becomes apparent in a moment. Have you ever been in a situation and it feels like the grace has run out? It just feels like that, that door, that room, that space is becoming narrower and narrower and narrower. And it's almost like it's, it's, it's squeezing you out. We go through these transitions in life where we felt that one, what was once a wide open space has become a confined space. It's squeezing us. It's, it's pushing us. And in those moments, I have noticed that God often opens up another way, a wide open door and we can feel that this is the place. The grace is there, and we are called to walk through that door. And so this is kind of what Paul is saying here in regards to ministry. And he started his letter, and I find this so significant. He started the letter to uh, the church in Corinth, which we, we, we looked at in the beginning of January. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3, he says, grace to you. He speaks to the church in Corinth. And before he tells them about this incredible mission, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3, uh, he says, there is grace to you. It's by the grace of God that you are going to be able to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God for your life. Grace to you and peace from, our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he ends the letter in 1 Corinthians 16 23 by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. So if this door had two pillars, it would be grace to you and, and, and grace for you. It, it's grace from beginning to end. In other words, if we're going to be effective in this world, it's not going to come through just self-effort. 
just trying hard, just, just kind of, you know, getting into a routine. It's going to come from the grace of Jesus. That's what we need. We need God's grace, His ability, His Holy Spirit present in our lives. And we need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need a relationship with God. We need to hear His voice. We need to interact with Him. We need to be able to, to hear the voice of God and obey Him. And this is not something that is, is, is legislated. This is not law-bound. This is, this is you walking with your Father in a way that He will lead you and guide you and speak to you. And all of a sudden, those spaces that you thought were dead, those spaces, the places that you thought were dead ends, you will notice the door that He has opened up. It comes from us relying on the grace of God. And so what Paul is saying is that God's grace has opened a wide door for us to be effective in this life, in this city. And I just felt that after months of covering the book of 1 Corinthians about what it looks like to be on mission, that that is the word of God for our church today. That is the word of God for our church in 2022. There is a wide door that God, a space that God has given us, an opportunity, a moment in time that He has given us as a church to walk through and to do something incredible by His grace. To do something that has eternal value and eternal worth. To be a part of something that we will look back on when we're on our deathbeds one day going, thank God I was able to be a part of something that made a difference in this world. The door's open. Will we walk through it, Anchor Church? Will we take the opportunity? Will we trust in God? Will we rely on the grace? One of my favorite theologians uh, who was born at the end of the 19th century and, uh, and uh, worked into the, the 20th century, was a, a Swiss theologian by the name of Colbert. And Colbert said this one thing, and, and um, it's part of my studies when I, when I read up and I read about his theology. Um, it took me a while to understand this. But here's a quote from Colbert that might not make sense, but I'm going to explain it to you. He said this, he said, direct communication from God is not direct communication from God. Now, let's just say that this is when guys just get into a level of thinking about the things of God where you can only understand it if you understand their context. They're, they're trying to express in human words the mystery of the Spirit, and that's where this whole thing falls, you know, falls short. It's so difficult to put it forth, and, and, and so it's statements like these that make us think, what does that really mean, and how does that operate? What does Colbert mean when he says that direct communication from God is not direct communication from God? Well, do you know that the Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that every single one of your days was ordained before there was one of them? That God knew the date and the time and the expanse of your life before one of them even existed. And so He had a plan for your life before your life began. The Bible also tells us that the Lamb of God, Jesus, was slain before the foundation of the world. That Jesus had already, in essence, been committed to die for our sins before any of us had sinned. The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So people ask you, like, when were you saved? When did you get saved? When did you give your life to Jesus? And you might have an earthly date. You might be able to say, you know, June 17th. 1999 or whatever your date is that you got saved. 
you might have a day like that. But the truth is, I used to tell people I was saved about 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. But actually, I was wrong because I was saved before the world began. Jesus died for me at that point. Now, I know that we need to connect our faith to what Jesus did, but I'm just talking about the act of grace. God already fulfilled the requirements of what we need before the world even began. And so Ephesians 2.10 speaks into this, and it says, for we are His workmanship. We are the workmanship of Christ. We are His artwork, His handiwork. He has put us together. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. There are good things that God has prepared for us to walk in, which God prepared beforehand. The good works, the purpose, the plans for your life were prepared before your life even began. But God prepared them that we should walk in them. So isn't that incredible that beyond whatever you have dreamed for your own life, God has already, had, had already settled His dream for your life. His plan for your life, His purpose for this community. So God doesn't wait until the moment arises to make a plan, right? So you you might experience some lack right now in your life, and you might pray and say, God, help me right now. God doesn't go, oh, shucks, I had no idea they were going to go through this. You know what? Let Let me think about what would be a good plan right now. No, what God does is, He already knew you were going to face that moment before the world began and already answered your prayer before you prayed it. Already had the answer for prayer, just waiting for you to pray it. Just knowing that He can move on your heart in that moment and you can connect your faith with what He has prepared for you and have it come to fruition in that precise moment. So God has already given us all things. We just experience them in time. God exists outside of time. So before you had a problem, God already had a plan. This is because of his omniscience and his foreknowledge. And so he has communicated every word, answered every prayer, made every plan before time even began. But we receive it in what you may have heard of before in the Greek is the kairos moment. The Bible says at the, it often speaks about the fullness of time or at the appointed time. So it was pre-appointed that in that moment, that answer would come. That breakthrough would happen. It's already pre-appointed. For God, He has already communicated it and spoken it. But for us, because we live within time, we experience it within the context of time. And so there is an appointed time and appointed times for your life. A wide open door. Here's the opportunity. This was planned beforehand that you would walk through it, that you would experience it, that you would live it out, that you would hear it, that you would see it, that you would taste it. Do you believe this morning that God has things prepared for your life? Things He wants to do in your life and through your life. People he wants to touch because of your life. So we get to, in this way, cooperate with the eternal plan of God. God said in the year 2021 and 2022, I want to do this in the city of Joburg. 
And in that appointed time, I'm going to establish a church called Anchor Church Joburg, and I'm going to send these people there. And on that morning, on the 10th of October, 2021, they're going to hear about how their physical presence can intersect with my eternal plan. It's like walking into something that had been prepared before time even began, before the world was shaped, and you're experiencing it now. This is so important because I think we often read our Bible as everything that happened. Everything that God did do back then. But we forget that what God did now, what God did through here, equips us for what He wants to do now. That the book of Acts didn't end with chapter 28. They just had to wrap it up because it eventually had to go into the Bible so the rest of us could read it. But the book of Acts is still continuing. This is the time of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we're all living in it. And there's a wide open door that we can step into. A moment of effectiveness that will bless your life beyond anything you can imagine. You will look back at those moments when God used you to do something of that kind of eternal value and work, and tears will stream down your cheeks as you realize the sweetness of God's grace as He allowed you to be a part of another life being changed. Lives being changed. People being, being rescued and redeemed because of His grace. And nobody in this room, even if it's your first time here at Anchor Church, Nobody in this room is excluded from that because it's not based on how good we are. It's not based on how long you've been a Christian. It's not based on any work that you have done to earn it or achieve it. It is based on the fact that God has purposed this for you. And so what a privilege to walk through that wide open door. Here at the end of 2021, a group of people on the outskirts of Johannesburg's northern suburbs get to step into an eternal plan. And we think we just come into church just like every other Sunday just to be encouraged. Hey, I'm just going to be encouraged and then I'm going to go to lunch. You know, just showed up to hear a quick word. But meanwhile, we're actually approaching the intersection of God's eternal purpose and our physical presence. You are in the right place, at the right time. Amen? You're in the right place, at the right time. And it happens in front of us. As we stand here, as we gather, as we worship, as we, as we bring everything that we are to God, that in front of us, a wide open door opens up for effective work for effective ministry, for lives to be changed. There is a definite eternal purpose here. Look at what Jesus said in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 3 and verse 8. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. That's how we often feel this grand task, and then we, we're aware of our own shortcomings. And we say, I, I have but little power. But Jesus says, but what you have done is that you have kept my word and not denied my name. 
You've held fast to the message that you heard, that you believed in when you first put your faith in Christ. You believed that message. And so because of that, even though physically you may have little power, you may feel too weak, you may feel overwhelmed, what I have done is by my grace, I have opened a door for your life that no one can shut. Here's the good news. Even you can't shut it. Even you can't shut it. Some of you have tried to shut the door that God opened in front of you. you. I mean, you've hung on that door. You've clinged to that door. You've forced that door. You've used every bit of strength within you to close that door. But God says, I will open a door that no one can shut. Man, the call of God on our lives is an incredible thing. It is Without repentance, it is irrevocable. You can run away from it, but you cannot, you cannot close the door. You have little power, but know this church, I have opened a door and I've set it before you and no one is able to shut it. When God opens a door, it's His divine purpose for our lives that He sets in front of us. I find it incredible how that language is incredible. I have set before you. I've established in front of you, I've given you the opportunity, this door. So if I've got a few points this morning out of these scriptures, the first one is is that we've got to realize God opens the door. God is the one who opens that door for us. It's by His grace and for His glory. That's good news because it means God doesn't open the door based on our performance. How many of you have felt that way, that God can't really use me because, you know, I haven't really been faithful. I know myself. I know how I've fallen short. I know how many things I've done wrong. I know how little I've prayed. I know how little I've read the Bible. I know how how long it's been since I've been to church. I know how, you know, I know all of these things. And so I don't think God can really use me. But God says, I've set a door before you. It's by my grace, not by your performance. And so each one of us have that purpose that we can walk in. You are Christ's workmanship, and He's got those things for you. When I read that scripture, I was thinking about, I don't know if you watch the movies, when somebody is being chased, and they run through a hallway or, you know, a building or a back alley, and they grab every door, and they're trying to open it up, you know, and they, you know, just trying to get away, trying to find out where there's an open door, and I realize how many people live life this way, because they don't see the door that God has set before them, they run through alleys and hallways, trying every single door, trying to figure out which one is right for them, which one will provide a passage for them. So people feel frantically lost and being chased by time. Which door is for me? Which door is for me? Which door will open? Which door will unlock? But the Bible says that if we can step back and rest in the finished work of Christ, if we could just be in His presence, and submit our our hearts and our longings and our desires to God, what will happen is we will see the door that God has put before us. And there there is just a tapestry, there is just a weaving together of our story that we can't explain, that we can't figure out, that we can't, God just does it. He opens the door. Philippians 3.12 Paul writes and he says, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. If Jesus has taken a hold of your life, it means he's done it for a purpose. 
And we, as we started Anchor Church, always used to say, together we're pursuing the reason for which Christ pursued us. And that still holds true. That's what we're doing here at Anchor Church. We're pursuing, actively pursuing, with everything in us, the opportunities that God has put before us. Because we know Jesus has taken a hold of us, and He has taken a hold of you, or He is taking a hold of you this morning for a purpose. And so we either pursue that purpose with our lives or we don't. But the door is set before us. The second thing I see in the scripture is that just because there's a door of opportunity doesn't mean that there won't be opposition. Doesn't mean that there won't be resistance. Doesn't mean that there won't be a fight. We've got to press into that door and the enemy will do anything that he can to try and hinder us to try and discourage us, to try and dissuade us, to block our way. As we saw, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 8-9, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There's adversaries. When we started Anchor Church, and, you know, all the logistics and all the all the things that you have to fight through and battle through in order to establish a community and and, and, you know, the, the, the attack that comes against us is, is, is not from people, but from the enemy. Satan wants to hinder the work here. And so we have battled. And there have been times when we've felt the intensity of that battle. And I remember watching a, a rugby game uh, in, in, in the UK. And what they did is they mic'd up one of the players. And this player was the captain that day. And it was a semi-final. And I watched this guy running around. And so you can hear everything he was saying to his players while he was running around. And at one point, they were behind uh, by a long stretch, this team. And he kept rallying, kept rallying, kept rallying. And the team started coming back, started coming back. And eventually, they were behind by two points with like 10 minutes to play in the game. And he ran up to his players and he shouted, this is a dog fight. This is a dog fight. And so when we started Anchor Church, Will and I always used to say, this is a dog fight. Come on, this is what we're doing. We're in it. It's a dogfight now. We're not holding anything back. We're giving everything we have. We're going to fight for the purpose of God in our lives. We're not going to give up. This is a dogfight. And sometimes when you are wanting to walk through the purpose and the plan of God for your life, you have to be willing to fight. I remember hearing a pastor say that when they interview church planters to find out whether or not they can plant churches, the first question they ask them is, have you ever been in a fight? Because if you haven't been in a fight, you probably can't start a church. And then his second question was, have you ever shot someone? Because if you've shot someone, you can definitely plant a church. But it's a dogfight. And we wrestle and we battle. And again, it's not against flesh and blood. But it's against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. There's all kinds of things that come against us. We are hard-pressed, but we are not destroyed. Are you going to give up? Are you going to give up on on the opportunity that God has set before you? Or are you going to walk through no matter the cost? It's a dogfight. Paul experienced this when he got to Corinth, and we spoke about this in week one. He didn't want to stay there. It's a wild city, a crazy place, and he feared for his life preaching the gospel in the city of Corinth. It ended up being the city he stayed in the longest on all of his missionary journeys. He was there for almost two years in the city of Corinth. And in Acts 
18 verse 8 to 9, he, he speaks about this opportunity that they had in Ephesus. And he says this in Acts 18, 8 to 9. He says, uh, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil, so all of a sudden there's, there's rumors and there's, there's things being said, there's insults coming forth, speaking evil of the way, the way was the name of the early church, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So he faces opposition. Paul at one point gets stoned. Like literally they thought he was dead. And they drag him to the edge of the city, to the city limits, and they leave him there for the birds to feed on. And Paul recovers, miraculously gets up and goes on preaching. He's thrown into prison. He's beaten up. He faces any kind of danger that you can imagine, but he doesn't give up because he has seen the door. He has seen the door and he is determined to walk through it. Are you willing to put yourself out there for the gospel? Are you willing to risk whatever it might cost to see God work powerfully through your life, to engage with God's purpose? We never come to that place where we expect no opposition. We just understand that we've been enlisted for the fight. Many of you might know the, the well-known caliber of bullet, the nine millimeter bullet that goes into uh, the, you know, pop, popular pistols. But the actual full name of it is the nine by 19 millimeter parabellum. And when I saw that, I wanted to know what parabellum meant. Because it's so interesting, I wondered if it had something to do with the width of the caliber. But parabellum actually comes from a famous Latin phrase, civi passum parabellum. And civi passum parabellum means if you want peace, prepare for war. Parabellum, prepare for war. And I just felt that that is so applicable to the kingdom of God. Because we are fighting for the peace of people's lives. We are fighting for peace in people's marriages. We are fighting for peace in people's homes. We are fighting for peace in our city. We are fighting for peace in our nation. We want people to understand and to know and to walk in the purposes of God for their lives so that they can experience His overwhelming peace. And in order to bring that peace to people, we have to prepare for war. We have to be willing to fight. And you know why we can fight? G.K. Chesterton said that the true soldier doesn't fight because of what's in front of him, but because of what's behind him. The true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. And so that's what we fight for. We fight because we love people. We fight because we want to see lives change. We fight because we want to make a difference in this city. CV Passam Parabellum. Jesus in our context, has already given us the victory and the peace. But he says we are to fight the good fight. That's what Paul says, fight the good fight. We read, I read one, uh, Revelations 3.8 to you now, where Jesus says, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, 
He says this in verse 9. I will make them come and bow down before your feet. Listen to this. And they will learn that I have loved you. How beautiful the words of Jesus. Those that oppose you, those that come against you, those that wish to stop you, those that wish to to quench the fire of God within you or discourage you or break you down, they will find out that I love you. They will come later on and look at your life and go, we thought that this guy was out. We thought that she was done. We thought that this was going to wreck them. But here they are, still standing, still fighting, still going, still pursuing. Surely God loves them. How beautiful. I want to tell you that those that oppose you in your life will learn later on just how much God loves you. It'll be undeniable that He is with you. To me, that's incredibly beautiful. The victory is assured. So Anchor Church, let's get going. If the victory is assured, and any of of those who oppose us will find out that we are the ones whom Jesus loves, then can we stop playing it small? Can we stop looking in the mirror and assessing what kind of future we can have based on what we see in the mirror and instead start looking in the mirror of His Word and and looking into the face of Jesus and start dreaming about and thinking about and planning for what we can have based on the sufficiency of Christ, based on who He is, not based on who we are. Can we start thinking bigger and start pursuing God's plan for our lives? Don't limit what God can do through you. So there will be opposition. Number three, you have to walk through the door. You have to walk through it. Nowhere in that scripture does it say that God comes and pushes you through. He says, see, I have set before you. I have opened the door. I have made the way. I have given you my grace but you still have to walk through it. God gives us the opportunity and the ability to step into the destiny that He has for us, but He will not force you through it. It's something that we need to believe for and a step of faith we need to take. You need to have the vision of God for your own life. It's not your vision, it's God's vision, but you need to understand God's vision for your life. Does that make sense this morning? My question is, do you see yourself the way you see yourself or do you see yourself the way God sees you? Have you limited what God can do through you based on how you view yourself? Because if we can allow God to expand our vision of what He wants to do through our lives, when we can get out of our own way and just let God do what He has purposed, then we can step through. At the beginning of 2020, we did a series in the book of Jeremiah which was our series for that year. And in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, which has become a foundational scripture for my life, God speaks to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, I'm, I'm, I'm too young. I'm just a youth. I'm not good at speaking. I, I can't do this. And God says to him in verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, which is what we've been speaking about, I knew you. Before you were even around to venture a suggestion about your future, I already knew you. And before you were born, 
I already consecrated you. I set you apart to be used for my glory. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now that word appointed is the word Nathan. And Nathan means to be given away. I already gave you before you were even alive to decide whether or not you wanted to be given. In other words, I created you for a purpose and I gave you to that purpose before you were born. And so whenever we come to God and we say, hey God, I really think that my purpose is maybe um, A and then I think maybe my purpose can transition. God's like, you are late to the conversation. I've already decided what your purpose is. In fact, you've been given away as a prophet to the nation. So now you can, you can only decide one or two things. You're either going to cooperate with the plan of God for your life or you're treacherously going to defect from it. There's no, you've been given away. And so we have been pre-appointed to an incredible destiny. So I want to encourage you, don't step away, but partner with God in the giving. Participate with the Holy Spirit we are co-workers. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. God is building us and making us as the church, and we work together with God, with the Holy Spirit, to accomplish these ends. We partner with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, by His grace, to become a place, a building, a field, where God can do His miracles. God can do His miracles. And I, again, believe that for our church. There was somebody who was very close to our team. They've uh, since immigrated to Australia. But when they were here, God often used them, and even since they've been there, to speak prophetically into the life of our church. And at one point, one of the dreams involved me being frustrated at the temporary feeling of the space. And it wasn't the physical space. It was the, it was the spiritual thing. And, and, and I was kind of going, you know, God, when are we going to get to that place that you've promised? And God said, you will get there in a moment, but... In the meantime, I want to do my miracles here, in this space, in this place, in this time. There's an appointed time, but right now, God is going to create this people to become an, uh, a building or a place where He can do His miracles in us and through us. And so our hope at Anchor Church is to help you discover your purpose. That's why we have the growth track. If you haven't done the growth track, Every single person in this building should do the growth track because it will reveal to you your destiny. It'll help you to connect with that wide open door to be effective in the work of God. And so let's do it. Number four, we can only do it together. We can only do it together. Now, this has probably been in, in, in ministry for me, my biggest challenge because I kind of mentioned a little bit about my intensity, about researching things I want to buy, whatever. I put that same intensity into pretty much everything that I do. It drives people nuts. You need to be a special kind of person to be on staff here at Anchor Church. And because there's just a standard that we just can't do it any other way. And we don't always meet that standard. And, and I often speak to myself about the fact that that specific standard isn't necessarily going to grow the church. And so, I, you know, I, I'm maturing. Keep praying for me. But what I've realized is so often because I want it done at a certain standard, I'll just do it myself. 
And so as a result, I've only been able to go so far. But what God is unlocking more and more and more is the fact that every single gift that we need to become one of the greatest churches this nation has ever seen, in terms of effectiveness, in terms of souls being saved, in terms of God's work being done, is in this room already right now. The treasure is here. And so it's not, this church is not and will never be a pastor with a microphone. It will not be built on the gift of one person, but on all of us coming together to do what God can do through a community. Yes, God chooses people to lead and to speak and to direct, but He works through a community. And so as each person adds their time, their talent, and their treasure, this vision works when we work, when each one understands that they have something to carry something to contribute. 1 Peter 4 verse 10, Paul says this. He says, each one, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And you're wondering, well, how do I know what gift I've received? The growth track. You can go today. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You see, I have a certain grace on my life. And that's the grace God chose for me, connected to the purpose he had for me. But you have your grace. In a it's the same grace, different form. And you are the only one that can carry out that grace and execute that purpose based on what God has called you to. I can't fulfill your purpose for you. I can just encourage you in it. I can just help equip you for it but we all have a grace. And so Peter says something super practical. He says, hey, so you know God gave you those gifts? Use them. Use them. Do something with it. Use your grace. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 16. You get the sense of what the church was doing back then and how they worked together. I'm just gonna run through these real quick. 1 Corinthians 16, 10. When Timothy comes, See to it that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as am I. 1 Corinthians 16, 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will at this time to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. There's Apollos. 1 Corinthians 16, 15 to 16. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they, would, and that they have devoted themselves to the servants of Service of the saints. They devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and, and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. And he goes on. He's like, this guy's got some ministry that he's doing. This guy's going to come to you later. This guy's out there doing this. These guys have got a church in their house. There's a team effort happening here. Paul's directing and he's writing and he's encouraging, but, but there is a massive team effort happening here. We will not be able to fulfill the plan of God for our lives alone. Can't do it. You've got to get connected. That's how God works. It's a team effort. Each one using the grace God has given them. So we can only walk through this wide door if we walk through it together. Amen? Finally. I don't know what's going on today, but I've felt like preaching today. I just, man, anyways, let me end. Number five, what happens when we walk through this door? 
it leads to effectiveness. It leads to effectiveness. The door that Jesus set before us produces results. Kingdom results. A harvest of souls. Effective ministry happening. This is too important for us to make it about ourselves. It's too important to, to try and see how many people we can impress or, or, you know, trying to get into that rat race where we're comparing what we're doing to what others are doing. We just don't have time for it. This is our door and our opportunity. And when we walk through it, God does something supernatural. We can expect the unexpected for miracles to occur, for God to work, for lives to be changed. Not because what we're doing compares to what anybody else is doing, but because what we're doing is what God has called us to do. And we'll do it using the time, the skill, the grace that God has given us to run our race. Because there isn't another race. There is no dress rehearsal. There will not be another opportunity. This is it. This is your opportunity. This is the door. This is the time. This is the Kairos moment for your life in the appointed time. Question is, Anchor Church, will we be on mission in a mad world? Will we stand up and say yes to Jesus and see him do these things? Paul faced opposition in Ephesus. We read about it. There were many adversaries. But when you read, and you can go check this out at home, when you read the very next verse, it says, and God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. How beautiful. There's a door, there's opposition, and there's extraordinary miracles. And that's what we believe in God for. That He's going to do some things that, that people will speak about for generations that the very trajectory and course of generations, we sang that song this morning, the children and their children and their children, that generations will be impacted because a group of people decided that we were no longer going to play church, but we were going to walk through the door. That's what God has for us. How many of you are ready to see some extraordinary miracles? that God will do through us. Grace opens the door. Grace equips you to walk through it. And grace sustains you on the other side of it. So let's keep showing up, praying, trusting, giving, and serving. 1 Peter 4, 11, Whoever serves must serve by the strength that God supplies. He gives you the strength to serve in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Anchor Church, will we walk through the door? Let's walk through that door. Let's be on mission in a mad world. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me as we pray today?